Welcome to Isle Sides. I'm Nick Cardona. Today's episode is all about unions. Um, it's all about the pro-union argument, the anti-union argument, both sides of the aisle, uh, what they're talking about, what points they're making. Um, and I think it's important to note that uh, the union argument has been an argument that has gone on for decades. Uh, and like I said before, merits on both sides. And we're going to break it all down. Uh, and with that, I'm going to introduce my co-host Alex Garofalo, who has a little bit of a, a little bit of a personal story with unions going on right now, right, Alex? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, you know, I think that as we continue to kind of shape this podcast and what we wanted it, to, what you want it to be, you know, we're 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 trying to start. We've we've been on a quest to find some debates that are kind of on the margins, the the sort of John Oliver last week tonight model. Um, in, in, in you know, here's. While everyone's talking about this, here's 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 something else that's worth talking about that you might not been you might not have been paying attention to quite as much, and this struck us as kind of an interesting debate that that is a little bit in the background right now, but one that was interesting in that there's you know a lot of disparity in in how people view unions and a lot of the talking points surrounding unions and then how how they actually play out in reality and what the numbers actually tell us about them. And the real, it's really such a large um, kind of bedrock of our, our economy. But, but at the same time, I think if you're not in a union, it, it's, it almost never has to cross your mind other than when it's tossed around as like this political kind of point in a debate or something. It usually comes up in election years tangentially. Mm-hmm. But it's not something I feel like people have a lot of comprehensive understanding of. And... Uh, and I recently went through another very personal experience with unions that is kind of a part of a string of, of unions kind of brushing up against my life. And I want to get into that. But I thought you, you Nick, have really had no inter- personal interaction with a union. No, I so I'm curious what your kind of perception of unions was coming into this podcast before we started to kind of dig into some of the research of this well i truly it was kind of it was funny because I, I we were talking on the phone just kind of you know going over what we were what we wanted to what we wanted to discuss and i actually i don't have an opinion on unions which was interesting because i have an opinion on everything else <laughs> um and the thing with with unions is, is that i i never had i don't have family members that are in unions uh, i don't really know anybody that that is in a union um i know teachers that might have been in the teachers union that that had to be in the teachers union um but i you know i didn't ever had a personal experience or a personal conversation with anybody mm-hmm. so my view on it was that there are arguments that i've heard on on the anti-union uh side and the pro-union side that i like that i think uh that i think makes sense and uh it's just interesting for me because i'm coming into this podcast very clean mm-hmm. very this episode of this podcast very clean very uh just ready to hear all sides um and i think that's healthy that's going to be i think that should be the debate um about unions because there are there are arguments against it and there are are arguments for it Mm -hmm. um and maybe this is kind of an inspiration to meet in the middle somewhere right and and make a compromise on on these issues so i think that's that's my view of the entire situation well i don't come in uh, even close to as clean. <laughs> I I have, was have been born, uh, baptized, and and raised in in unions. Uh, my my father is is a mailman has been for 
uh, just about 30 years. I don't know the exact amount, but in the ballpark of 30 years. He's made a, a career long, of it. Which is a long time. Yeah. And obviously there's no, no day of that, you know, is without, is without being part of the union. Uh, my mother is a former postal worker, so she's previously of, of the union and is now an assistant manager at a credit union that services the, the postal union community in, in Delaware, where I'm from. So we, you know, I've been, I've grown up with, with union drama, uh, and both good and bad being part of my life. My mother caters the union Christmas dinner. So I, I it's, I've, and it's grown up with unions being this kind of omnipresent force that I was mostly neutral on. It's not like I was growing up with all these opinions on it. My dad wasn't sitting down going, son, this is how unions work. And this is, Right. They're great because of this, or they're not. It, it was just more that it was just a reality of life. These are right. th- this is a thing that exists and it's out there, and I always had some level of awareness about it. And as I grew up, I think a lot of the things that you'd hear of my dad were, were not really about were not opinions about anti-union or pro-union. It was more just like hearing the, this these just the realities of dealing with a unionized working environment, especially the postal service. Well, first of all, the postal service is one of the largest employers. In, in the country and it's thus thusly one of the largest unions in the country so it's almost this extreme example because it's a union on such a large scale mm-hmm. and obviously every state every city every town there's everywhere where there's mailmen there's the postal union so right. and a lot of it was just like you know the lack of flexibility in in getting off when you kind of wanted to on a, on a more short-term notice and vacation and things like that because it's all it's, it's all so structured and requests have to be go through kind of this protocol and and you know I, w- I would just like pick up on things like that uh and just you know who has the right to overtime when people wanted overtime versus people who that kind of stuff and and, and he, basically a lot of red tape that postal workers have to navigate uh, a lot of the red tape that people will throw out as the kind of downside of a union environment is that there's you know there's you know one of the big cons that people throw out there is efficiency and you you know always hearing these kinds of red tape situations that spoke to that but you know at the same time there was always this understanding and always this kind of awareness that there were certainly ways that management could have been exploiting the postal workers and, and trying to get them to work faster and handing them hours more, you know, they would, obviously the mail is subject to how much mail gets shipped out. So you have like the Christmas time rush where people, you know, just like just truckloads and truckloads of packages that are going out and overtime is necessary and, and just like it, it being necessary for this to be the structure of time and a half and benefits and how much can people work and 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 making sure that you know when you're if you're working a 12-hour day hauling packages all over a city that you're compensated fairly and those kinds of things so it was always this give and take like and that's and i grew up with this i would say pro-union attitude only because i took it just like you know, just like how you know you pay your taxes and you're around you, them. You, yeah, you, you have health care and you go to the doctor like for a checkup and to, like you know it's, it was just like good or bad. It was a reality of life. Right. So I grew up pro union in that sense, but neutral in that I was very aware of like the give and take of that mm-hmm. environment. It wasn't it wasn't like we were sitting there going, "Thank God for the unions," saying a prayer for the union every night. Right. right. But it also wasn't. You know, it wasn't like we were, there was rage against the union either. It was 
Yeah. So there was that. 16, I got a job working at a grocery store in my neighborhood. And I, I, I don't know for sure if all grocery stores, but certainly I think every large grocery store chain, your, your workers are unionized. And that was an interesting experience because it was an environment where you're working with, you have, you have people like me or high school college kids who are just a part-time job to supplement whatever else they've got going on in their lives. You also got forty-year-old butchers and grocery managers, and and you know working-class adults with families. Often that you know this is their livelihood, and um, so you 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 kind of experience what an environment like that and what a union situation does to lots of different kinds of people. And I really, in that situation, would be the poster child of why unions are kind of can be inhibitive because. I'm not concerned with the long term of anything particularly and and you know I'm there as a part-time worker to to make to save for college and or save for the summer and those kinds of things and why why do I need why is it I, and I'm mandated to be paying union dues every month and you have to opt you know there's no there was no opt out so it's like you know my wages getting kind of garnished in that way and 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 you could you can without me really staying to benefit because what do unions argue for they, they raises over time and and the benefit situation well i wasn't getting insurance from the store i was staying on my parent my parents right union negotiated benefits but uh, <laughs> all the same so like i didn't stand to benefit as much as others there but you know the in most in, in most cases unions you have to you have to buy in to work there uh, because they're basically they don't want a free rider kind of problem where you gain all the benefits of the collective bargaining but you're not paying your way right which does make sense which states combat with the right to work laws that mean you, you that be able to give you the option to choose if you want to join or not we, yeah. can, we can get to that later but my point is i was really the epitome of someone who doesn't stand to gain a lot and it's kind of this inhibitive thing that probably restricts how many part-time workers and kind of how many jobs they can put out there in the purest sense and that kind of conservative sense but at the same time i did end up working there part-time for quite a few years and i got annual raises that i probably wouldn't would not have fought for or and certainly not been given without them being kind of structured into the way things worked there and there was a day where I was a teen going through a kind of a fight with my girlfriend, being absent-minded as teens do, and I left a freezer of ice cream open and melted $5,000 worth of ice cream. Okay. And uh, I, there was a new manager in the store who was you know, trying to get the bottom line down to impress her boss because the manager is obviously not part of the bargain. You know, once you reach that kind of like – once you reach a certain tier in a union working environment, you're not part of the union. You're part of management. You're part of – you're kind of like the executive level. She fired any worker she could because you, you had to be there six months, I think, before you actually matriculated into the union as far as them representing you, them protecting you. Mm-hmm. So she fired everyone she could. She wanted to fire me because she was really pissed off that mm-hmm. I got rid of all her ice cream inventory, which is a fair reason to be pissed off. But she couldn't fire me, and my, my job was saved because you can't fire a person for one mistake because, the, you know, the union wouldn't tolerate that. Right. So... I did end up benefiting from it, honestly, because you know the, the years of wages <laughs> after that point probably make up for the union dues, and, and I'm not really sure. I mean, I could have, obviously I could have found another job, and I'm sure people probably think I deserve to be able to be fired after $5,000 worth of That's a lot of ice cream. That is a lot of ice cream. 
But that was my that was my that was my next experience. The third one I'm not going to speak of. I'm not going to speak about in too much detail because I work there now, and I think that would be in poor taste. But I you know I work I work for a digital media company now that just unionized, and if you click on my Twitter bio, you can you can go into where I work and you can connect the dots. You can connect the dots. Uh, isn't it, media reports covered it? There 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 were. Deadspin articles and, and other articles uh, that kind of covered the the process of organizing and getting recognized by the company. It now is being recognized by the company, the the union. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to get in any of the nitty gritty and, and kind of right because it's still all being negotiated and I work there and that could be awkward. But uh, but I just part of a digital media company that that unionized uh, under the Writers Guild, which is a kind of a trend that's catching fire in the digital media industry fusion huffington post mtv there's quite a few sites now that have that has been a whole different experience because i think that we have this blue collar mindset about about union workers and i don't think you know i work in a very progressive office where there's beer on tap and it's all standing desks all over the place and open office environment and it's very it's very very modern it's very young so that's been an interesting experience because it's this, it's this demo that you wouldn't necessarily associate with unions that's unionizing. And it's gotten me thinking a lot about, and, and I'll, you know, feel free now for, for you to jump in, Nick, at any time. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's gotten me thinking about what kind of conditions and what kind of factors precipitate unions kind of popping up and, and uh, bands of employees kind of dis- making that decision to organize. I mean, I think it's. A, I think it has a lot to do with the political climate at the time. I think you're. You know, obviously, it's 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 that old thing when people pay attention to politics every four years or every some some. If you're really into politics, you pay attention every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us who do it every day, um, that's a little bit different. That's on another you know nerd level. Um, but in terms of the political climate with unions, is that you have this past election where you had the leaders of all the major unions AFL-CIO uh, all of these these you know these te- the teachers unions and all of these 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 unions coming together to support a candidate and that are out there in the you know in the on the front lines right and and I think that's that's why they right now we're seeing a bunch of you know a lot of media coverage for it and a lot of people trying to to, to unionize like your your company is trying to unionize and my company hasn't done that yet but it's it's that's I think what causes a lot of things it doesn't matter not only unions but a lot of other issues you know the political climate causes that and causes that interest that peaked interest um, and I think especially this political climate that we just saw in 2016 that's what is I think driving that's a, that's a driving force behind it I think that's definitely a factor but I think I spent a lot of time thinking about this through the prism of digital media and I think that it, the, the industry climate is, I think, just as important, if not more important. And so if you if you run with the kind of digital media case study, um, as I have in my head, for, for more reasons than just this podcast, obviously, it seems to me that unions seem to pop up in industries where, I don't know if I'm going to articulate this as succinctly and, and with as much clarity as I would like, but where... The workers, the work that they do 
is kind of devalued by the state of the industry in that they're kind of uniquely replaceable or more replaceable than they have been at, at other points in the industry's history. And, 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 it, and, it, and what happens is the workers' job performance or their, more, impor- more importantly, the workers' compensation and the benefits they get are become more divorced from the state of the company than what you would kind of normally expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's often precipitated by a kind of tightening of, of resources by a company in an industry. So you have this digital media climate right now where, you know, we obviously, I mean, anyone who's been paying attention to the news even in a, in, even a little bit is, is very aware of the decline in newspapers and the struggle that news agencies have had to kind of cope with basically the internet and the introduction of all of this competition and how, you know, there's so, there's my, there's so many, there's so, there's such fewer barriers to entry to get online and have a news site than to print a newspaper. And so, you know, there's these wave and then obviously then also it changes the whole game as far as getting a story first and and what coverage looks like. And, and in that climate, media, media content creators, writers or video producers or whatever, whatever it may be. And not just hard news, but in any, in any sort of media genre, because there's so much competition, the quality of work doesn't need to be as high to get that click, to get that ad revenue for the company to survive. Mm-hmm. And then you think, and obviously this has, been a, this has been a big talking point because of fake news, but throw the fake news aside, but just, just the concept of like you, you will pretty much click into any site that you think is going to have the information that you need. Mm-hmm. And so what, what starts to be valued in that, in that kind of, environment is the headline and the whole you know the classic clickbait headline right but not just the headline but just the but the image of the story that kind of like draws you in or the little video that starts playing silently when you're scrolling through facebook and mm-hmm. and and social media outreach and and those kinds of those kinds of things which are all important things but and, you know and obviously and i'm in, kind of involved in some of that work as far as right for me seo and i you know i lots of friends that do social media i'm not trying to uh disparage any of that mm-hmm. but the point is all that stuff is becoming much more important to if a if you're going to get it, somebody to click into a story or watch a video than the actual quality right of the stories and video themselves and it's not that those aren't important because obviously you know you you continue to produce poor enough quality work theoretically an audience is going to not trust you and eventually learn to not click into your stuff so it is important but it becomes less important and it becomes less important writers become replaceable because you know you can get anyone to write a story all that matters is that you nail this headline you nail this photo you nail the social media post you're going to get the click you're going to get the ad revenue which is often per click or impression um if you know your digital media terms and so when you become replaceable, you become exploitable. Right. That is at the heart of why you're seeing a bunch of digital media companies unionize is because you're seeing a bunch of companies that are fighting for less revenue because there's so many, there's so much competition now. Yeah. And that fight is forcing them to be, you know, I don't think it's totally malicious on the, you know, I don't think, I don't think every unionization comes from, as a, to combat like maliciousness from a company, it's, yeah. it's, I think the exploitation exploitation is a heavy word, but I think I'm, I mean it more, almost accident accidental 
Hopefully. Right. I think in some cases you yeah. do have more pointed exploitation of... I think the bigger companies, I think, have an agenda. Mm-hmm. I think the smaller companies are, are just, you know, it's kind of like... Like your company, I would consider a, a what, middle of the, middle of the middle, pack right. company. And they're not going to... The, I don't think that they're... Like, if the, the, the reaction to unionize by, by your company, that might have not... I don't think that was in response to something malicious like you said no but it is a, but my company is a company like many others who are in this rat race you know all media companies now are dependent on the ebbs and flows of social media and like facebook decides you know what we're, we we like sites that do live video and now everyone now suddenly everyone's trying to do live video right no matter if that's what they want to do or not or what that feels appropriate to, to, to cover their subject matter or not, people right. are chasing these means of gaining the audience instead of being able to solely focus on the quality of their work itself. Right. Um, so, then you, then, so then you're asking your writers to not just be writers but to also produce Facebook Live videos and to be and, – and, and, you know, and, and, and you start to – and also be able to do social media posts and promote your stories. And all of a sudden people have five hats – Right. When they're hired and paid to do one. Right. When the companies are more concerned with that and they want to put their resources into that, it's easier to kind of deprioritize spending all this money on somebody who's going to write this beautiful 5,000-word article. That's great, but people probably aren't going to scroll through all 5,000 words, no matter how beautifully it's written. Right. And they're content to click on to the 200-word article that has the catchy headline. Right. And so the writer gets devalued. Right or wrong, I'm not trying to make a judgment call on this, but this is the climate that starts to develop. Yeah. Uh, what I, I guess my point is that that so then you, the company is bending over backwards to try to get ahead, but when they get ahead, the writer's still making what they were making before usually, right. which is their salary just to write, not to do, not to be a Facebook Live producer and a social media expert and yeah, know, and, 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 and an R and personality and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. So. They're not benefiting when the company does get ahead of the curve. They're mm-hmm. now just doing multiple jobs for the same rate. And when the company fails to keep up with the market, when their Facebook Live experiments fail, and when their, um, you know, their text on screen studio stuff fails, or th- these kinds of initiatives, who's the first to go? The writers, right. because the the business, in order to succeed has got to pay more attention to the business model, which is how they're distributing the content, not the content itself. And that comes, that kind of comes into where I, what my business is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I also work in a media company, but it's we are a company that not only not only does our own content, our own branded content for our own channels, but we also provide video content for other companies. Mm-hmm. So one of our clients is Time. Inc. So all the Time brands of People Magazine, uh, Money, uh, Fortune, uh, People, uh, or People I said People, uh, then just regular Time Inc. Yeah. All of those companies pay us to do their own video. So we're sitting in our in our office making videos for these companies. AOL is one of our clients. MSN is one of our clients, and and we make these videos for these companies because and they're downsizing. Because they realize that they don't want to put the money into paying writers and producers and video editors, all that stuff, when they can just pay us a flat rate, right. share the revenue for clicks and how, mu- how much money we make on, the, on those certain videos, and, and they can save a little money, and we can make money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obviously, you can argue I'm pro that because that's giving me a job, and those are big clients for us that, that give us a lot of money every single year. 
to make those videos for them. So like that's that's an argument where where I think that's free market. It's pure. It is, and that's what it, and that's and that's what I think allows it. But uh, you know, obviously, it is that that idea of people of companies downsizing where they're just not they don't want to produce their own videos, mm-hmm. so they get rid of people. But then that again, that it comes in, then that brings in the union argument: who's going to protect these workers that are being shoved out the door? Right, and I, and I think conservatives maybe listening to this would go. Well, fine, because that's how it's supposed to work. Right. You know, the the company is supposed to be able to be agile and adapt, and if it if it makes more sense for them financially to 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 contract out to a to a, a company like yours, they should have the right to do that, and that's fine. But you can't ask these workers who have their own families to feed to just buck up for the good of the company, because again, like what I'm what I'm describing is situ is a situation where your livelihood becomes divorced from the company's livelihood. And so then why why would you just go along with your fingers crossed with the ebbs and flows of your company and wait till either you're the, on the chopping block when they need to cut costs or you're bending over backwards to help them benefit and you're not gaining. Well, a lot of the companies are if they have if they are forced to keep a keep an employer employee on and they have to pay, and they're not making any money, they're not making profits from mm-hmm. from whatever they're doing. Then they're forced to keep those those employees on, and then what happens? They're still paying out these uh, to these employees. They're paying out a lot of money, and they're not getting anything in. Mm. So then they have to then they have to fold anyways, and they have to either go bankrupt or, or they just have, they have to, to they have to they have to downsize, or else right. they're gonna they're gonna close shop. And and that's and that'll that'll be catastrophic for a lot more reasons because instead of losing one job, you're losing what thousands of right. jobs. Um, so I think that's an argument that can be made for the fact that the free market might that that free market argument could work, where it's like you know, <laughs> you're gonna have to either close shop completely or get rid of a couple of workers. And I'm not trying to demonize companies necessarily. I, I just think you know a, a conservative principle is everyone kind of paying it, looking out for their own interests. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to describe or is is a situation that in my from my perspective, an industry where looking out for yourself even while working at a company might mean kind of being a little bit confrontational with the company about how they deal with you i basically wanted to say that to lay out that there are um i think legitimate motivations are on both sides of the battle industries where unions are popping up there's genuinely there generally is a problem that needs to be solved right and i think that there's from some people on the right this this sense that unions just show up to ruin a good thing and kind of like screw the job creators kind of deal, and it's and whether it's the job creators' fault maliciously or not, when you see or it's it's effort and time and eventually money for employees to organize, and no, and no one would under no one wants to do more work, no one wants to give up any money, right? No one wants to go through that effort unless there's a cause, and yeah. I, so I think that there's always a I'm not so I'm not I don't want to blame companies. But there's always a problem in an industry when unions start popping up. There's it, it's it's not for no it's not for it's not an accident. There's, it's right. not because of no reason. But economically, when we talk about unions, um, what do we talk about when we talk about unions? <laughs> um, I think when we get into the economics of it, um, I think there are some examples that. I mean, I, I, let's for one example that I want to bring up is un, is unemployment and employment um, when it comes to to sure you know that argument against unions is that yes they're fighting 
for higher wages for, for their employers. They're fighting for benefits. They're fighting for all these things. And while all that is very, very good, and I, I agree with all that, I agree with higher wages, agree with benefits, that might cause a company to not really hire that many more people. That They might try to be like, okay, if I'm going to have all these unions come here and try to and try to, you know, increase all increase these wages. They're forcing they're they're, you know, tying me into a knot here where now I can only hire 5 people instead of 10. So, right there you're cutting off that that type of that, you know, so if you want fewer jobs but you want better benefits and better and higher wages, that might be a price to pay for 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 unions. Um, that's an argument that can be made for for the other side, for the for the anti-union argument. Yeah, no, I hear that, and and I I don't think it's it's I don't, it's definitely not made up that there's a correlation between um, so there's a I mean I I don't think it's definitive, but there's there's a correlation between kind of unemployment and, and unions like that, but I guess what I would say to counter that is that 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 assumes that this metric that everybody's working towards is full employment, and I think I think that's almost a, a red herring, because when you're when you're when you're a worker unionizing, what you are or what you go to the bargaining table is about your working conditions in the job you already have. You're not sitting down to argue with your employer about keeping your job, right? And you really, frankly, are not concerned with if other people are going to get hired at your job. I mean, how often are you sitting at work, listener? No matter what, no matter where you work, and just sitting there going. I really need. I'm not talking about like I need more people on my team or this. I just like I, I need more of me. Like I, I want more, right, <laughs> of the people that do my my specific job. Right. It's like that's not good for an individual. People opting into unions. There's actually I pulled out this um, this March this May 2016 um, 538 article uh, by by Ben Castleman. And he was basically talking about he was talking about Trump and he was talking about Trump's promises to save manufacturing, and talking about the the, the the kind of lament that manufacturing has gone by the wayside, and the point that he basically, if I can kind of summarize the article, is to say that what people when they talk about saving manufacturing, they're talking about saving this era of manufacturing where a manufacturing job gave you what you could support a family on it and it had good benefits and you could have this kind of like American dream buy a house support a family on a manufacturing job but we know or at least in my perspective that's not going to be as possible in the future for in the manufacturing industry because maybe because technology is the is more than any sort of regulation that's ever kind of that's ever come from the government the the way that the free market has introduced technology into manufacturing is the biggest is the biggest reason manufacturing is on the decline and outsourcing has less to do with any sort of corporate tax and stuff like that than the fact that like when you are paying somebody a dollar an hour in China to build an iPhone that that is the only way it's cheaper than having robots build it basically right yeah you know th- th- this idea that all of these manufacturing jobs that are that the companies are paying like you talk about unions as forcing the companies to pay more money and less jobs. It's like, well, what do you think is going to happen if you force all these manufacturing companies who are paying slave wages to people in third world countries? You bring them back, and suddenly they have to be ten dollar an hour jobs or fifteen dollar an hour jobs or twenty dollar an hour jobs. How many of those jobs are there going to be? Right. So it's like when you're talking about unions, 
aren't you really talking about the quality of the job, not necessarily the job number? What is what are 10 jobs? 10 jobs might be more than five, yes, but if n n zero out of those 10 people can support their families with those jobs, what are they worth? Right. So I do think that there probably is an effect on, on unemployment from, from unions int being introduced into an industry, but I don't think that's necessarily bad other than, you know, the if, if people that wouldn't be hired this industry because of a union can't find job employment elsewhere that's really a problem with the economy at large not really right. that industry in and of itself but in, you know i am a believer in that kind of bernie sanders i guess principle of you know a full-time job especially a manufacturing full-time job you should be able to support you know your family your climate classic family of four on that and if that's what unions are fighting for and if unions be if like how it shakes out saying i don't want unions means i'm going to have more jobs but it's going to be a bunch of part-time jobs with shitty benefits mm. i'm not sure even though that might hurt the unemployment number or that might be better for the unemployment number rather that that's a better thing overall right. yeah okay so an another thing to kind of bolster this argument that unions are actually bad for the workers and actually you know they harm employment if that's true who would know that unions like people in unions union members but like what you actually see is i pulled all this gallup data and union support a like union approval rating overall is fairly is 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 kind of like has declined like people people rather people's perceptions of if unions work has declined but people in unions they still think they work and it's really more that there's been like you, you could argue that there's been this PR campaign against unions that has affected people outside of unions while there's actually a pretty solid approval rating within the union. And again, this is according to Gallup. Uh, in August of 2016, when this survey was done, 70% of workers who are members of unions said that they mostly help the state of the economy or their jobs or whatever, where the U.S. economy in general at the same time was was 52 so more of this 50 50 split mm -hmm. where the majority of people in unions are saying no I'm, I'm in the union and maybe it has its downsides but it's 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 more or less working for me support for unions okay. this is more this is more nate silver 538 data that i was looking at but support for unions does fall in the economy overall as the unemployment rate falls but again that's it's talking about support. So I think when unemployment is rising, that usually that's not because of unions. I mean, you look at uh, you know, the 2008 crash, that was not a union thing. That was this financial market disaster. But, you know, you could easily argue that support that support falls because people just get desperate. You know, when people are really up against the odds, yes, they'll take the shitty job over the good job. Mm -hmm. And so if a union is a barrier to them getting any sort of job, like that, that it might be an impediment there, but that doesn't mean unions are bad. Right. Uh, and it, it's this kind of like this similar to this healthcare principle that I disagree with conservatives on a lot, which is like you know people look people look people choosing to pay the penalty for Obamacare. They don't really want healthcare. Look, you know, and I have always been of the opinion that when people are not buying healthcare, it's because they decide they can't afford healthcare. I don't. Yeah. I I have always considered it kind of this conservative myth that there are people out there 
that just don't want they don't care they don't want it they don't need it they don't they don't right that like given the option of affordable health care or not they'd be like no thanks i'll roll the dice i think people only roll the dice are maybe getting cancer or maybe breaking their arm or maybe i i don't think people roll the dice on those things unless they are in a situation economically financially where they're boxed in right and they you know it's between paying rent or having health care yeah you're going to opt out of health care right and i think it's a similar situation like people's support for unions might dip when the economy gets bad and it's because 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 people don't want because when people are desperate they don't want any barriers mm-hmm. and and you know and i don't and i agree that the unions can provide some barrier you know when you put a when you put a wage floor on an industry right it's it is it is going to box out a few people it, it, you know so i understand that I, I what i just don't i don't take that personally to mean this indictment on unions overall because to me it's just like healthcare. It's like I I'd, I'd welcome I'd welcome it if I could afford it. Um I would, I would I would love to be all for better working conditions, more wages, better benefits and arguing for that if I felt comfortable in my, my employment right. status, but yeah. You know, if I could if I can have no unions and maybe there's more shitty exploitative part-time jobs available. Right. You know what? I got to I got to have something. I got to put something on the table. So yeah, I don't think people's support of unions is necessarily this, this like one to one comparison. As if people think in a perfect world unions are good. Um, in fact, you know, there's there's also a lot of data I pulled five thirty eight otherwise, uh, Gallup, that you know unions are much more popular in other countries, mm. and and there's actually a pretty positive correlation between the percentage of workers in a union and uh, a global competitiveness score. Uh, from the World Economic Forum in this 538 article I'm looking at, and the countries that you know are most competitive economically are your progressive, you know, your Finlands and Swedens and your countries from that area of the world that you right. always have Bernie Sanders yelling like, "Why can't we join the modern world?" And blah, blah, blah. All, right. all the countries that have all the progressive economic foundation that that he's spouting, unions are pretty big there too. I don't know personally, I've always kind of thought of unions as this classic American like textile workers fighting for That's what it better. Was better yeah. better working conditions in it more that's, a, that's that's another perception too i think is that people think of like just like unions as this fighting for working conditions and not you know coal miners and and textile workers and having an air conditioner in a factory and that kind of shit and it's like right. that because those were the way workers were being exploited in the birth of the industrial age right you know things develop at this point it's more about economic concerns it's more about you know, it's it's a little bit more nuanced. That's why you know I'm I'm describing this digital media climate that, in a lot of ways, is exploitative. But it, that's all white collar, college educated workers who are sitting in an office like mine, that's comfy, that's modern, that's hip. But it's a different you know things things evolve. Yeah. So. I just thought it was interesting to look at all these progressive countries. Unions are a big deal. And it's another thing, you right. know, because I think that there's a lot of things like healthcare that liberals value as these cornerstones of progressive society. And like, how can we live with ourselves with not having healthcare as a right, with not investing more in public education? And I don't think people think of unions as some as another one of those things. Yeah, but I think again that that plays to the perception the perception argument where it's like, you know, you don't have unions are not looked at anymore as these i think they're looked more 
like political machines mm-hmm. now than they are. You know, back in the day, that's what they were. They were there. Yeah. These guys that were on the front lines fighting for you, and now they might be doing that still, and they are doing that for the most part. But they're also have they have this mask on of just this political machine. Like you know, you have like these guys like Richard Trumka and the AFL CIO are giving these these passionate speeches at at, at political rallies and. That's what they see. That's mm-hmm. what they. That's the perception of unions. And that. And then again, it's just that's how, that's how we look at at at, uh, at unions. It's just um, it's that it's that perception problem. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this World Economic Forum data. First of all, only twenty percent of workers in a, of Americans are in a union, which is even lower than I thought. Yeah, I thought that was more. Um, and I know it's been de- it's been declining, um, as as uh, as time has gone on. From its kind of peak in like post-war era, right. but Finland's sitting pretty at seventy percent. That's pretty stunning if you think about it. I, to be honest, I thought America was closer, closer to like the fifty percent. Yeah, I would have, I would have thought, I would have thought like forty to fifty. Yeah, that's that's where I was thinking. But seventy yeah. is stunning. That's a, I mean, that's, you think about like what seventy percent is. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. We'd have, I'd have to. We, I obviously didn't dig up all this Finland research, but it's just right. like I, I can't even imagine what that would be like but mm-hmm. they are also you know listed as like one of the more competitive countries here so it, it you know it doesn't seem to have shut the whole economy down in finland so right well i mean that's also a different economy that's true that's, that's totally true economy. yeah they i, I think and i, think I, and I am, bordering on the on the the ceiling of my expertise here economically but yeah, I, I think I think it's also that that's a perception where you know Bernie. That's one of the things that I I I'm believing. I was a Bernie guy and I love mm-hmm. Bernie, but he went around saying like, why can't we be more like Finland? Why can't we be more like Sweden? Why? Well, you know, they don't have to worry about a lot of things that we have to worry about in this country. And I think that's and and that's that's kind of a you know, that's an argument that can be that we can dissect. But but that's. It's generally my you know seventy percent of people in in Finland can can join a union. Maybe because they don't have other stuff to worry about in Finland and in Sweden. That's fair and, enough. It's you know. a more I, I've always said it's a more homogenized population there. Politically, racially, culturally, it's a lot easier to get people on the same page for those for kinds of right initiatives like that. No but one, that no said, one really looks to Finland to you know take care of conflicts in the Middle East. No, but I, I would one I would I would kind of push back on how much that should affect our ability to domestically get our shit together. I would also I contend that that we can't be that, so let's be nothing even closer to that is no, also that's a little bit of a logical fa- like, 100%, 100%, but I think I think it's a little bit more nuanced in America than it is in right. Finland. I think that's that's what I'm getting at where where there is it's not so much cut and dry where in Finland if you were against unions it'd be like well, why? Like right. what, like what else do you have to do? <laughs> like you know, you're you're, fin- you're in Finland. Like what do you do? Um, but here it's like there are a bunch of other things that we have to worry about, and I'm not saying that that is an excuse to just like you know completely cast aside and and be and sit at twenty percent. I'm saying yeah, you know you just got it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's a little bit more absolutely, you know, but can... while there may be correlations between unions and unemployment a little bit, there's also pretty pretty wildly parallel correlations between union membership and income inequality, and yeah. Which is, I, in, in my opinion, one of the bigger issues. Yeah. Because I, I think it's one of those issues that permeates 
more things than we're ever really thinking about when we're talking about it. It's just like it's education, it's housing, it's it's right. healthcare, it's everything. Mm-hmm. I don't think union membership is like the answer to that, but it is, I think, another kind of bellwether against that getting out of control. It's helps, you know, it gives workers more power. It gives workers a seat at the table. It's a check against rampant income inequality. Right. Um, and like I said when you look at the disparity between like ex- the approval rating of unions within a union and then outside, you know, to, to me in my liberal mind, it's like one of those issues where there's just been this kind of powerful campaign PR campaign by like the kind of corporate elite to, to make like, Oh, you, you don't want, you don't want more unions cause everyone will lose their jobs when like the data doesn't really bear that out. Right. I mean, there might be these these ebbs and flows in the 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 amount of jobs available in certain industries, but you know at the, at the end, like I said, to what degree are are we fighting for more quality of jobs right. than just quantity of jobs? And you know what would twenty to forty percent look like as right. far as a dent in income inequality? And and I think that there is an argument. That this, this is coming from a person who has relatives uh, and friends who are anti-union, mm-hmm. who are conservative people that just that that hate the idea of of just the political side of unions, I think, mostly. Yes, yeah. um, but here's here's their argument. I think the argument is also that, that conservatives just don't like the fact that unions tr- really do rally behind the Democrats. And unions help Democrats get elected all over the country. So I think that there is a little bit of a... Not, I'm not going to go as far as say jealousy, but there is resentment there. There's yeah. resentment that the unions aren't with me. Like, you know, Republicans are a very working class party, right? That they feel like they, oh, are they want, they would like they to, want be. to be. They want that image, right? <laughs> and they want I would that. push back against that. But. I, I don't think they, like, believe me, I, I agree. I, I, I don't think they have been a working class party in terms of when you look at what they stand for. Yeah. But they want to be that, they, they want to be that blue collar. They think guy. they're the answer to, to you know, economics. Right. And, yeah, and I think, and I think that's where the unions come in, where they just don't really like the fact that, that unions support, support Democrats so much. And I think that's a little bit more of a resentment. Interesting point on that. Cause another, another, again, another 538 article, by the way, 538, which I'm sure any conservative listening is going to you know, accuse of probably liberal bias, but um, although they were, more temperate than most on the Trump prediction. I honestly don't think it's a surprise that you are a liberal. <laughs> huh? I don't think it's a surprise that you. Oh are. no no no! I mean that I'm pulling that I keep uh, right, all yeah. this five thirty eight data. <laughs> but uh, but they've been on the union beat for apparently. Like I was doing all this research, looking for you know trying to answer this question, trying to answer this question, and five thirty eight articles kept. Pop. I guess I guess it maybe is a subject that lends itself to statistical analysis more, which is what. Yeah, and I think five thirty eight focuses on which is what yeah. five thirty eight does. Yeah. So, but it was um. So they did this kind of regressive analysis where they were like, you know, unions do overwhelmingly support and, and kind of throw their weight kind of financially and otherwise behind Democrats. But, you know, kind of causation correlation, like you know, unions tend to be comprised of large, large populations of minorities, working class, middle class, uh, groups that would all, would, you know, already kind of associate with the democratic party so is it like is it the unions or is it just the fact that you most unions are comprised of typically democratic supporting demos to do that they basically broke they, they basically broke down the data and by all these race uh you know if you're married what your your income level your age gender all of these factors including union membership and we're looking at like people of every one of those brackets who voted for Obama, who this was a 2012 analysis, 
who didn't vote for Obama, who voted for Romney, and like what, like which which gaps were bigger, like what what had the bigger, what was a bigger determining factor on how people voted, right? And you know, race, sexuality, uh, religious, uh, like influence as far as how much you attend church, if you're, uh, what, what kind of uh, denomination you were. Um, veteran status, uh, income level, if you were married, were all bigger factors in terms of if you supported Romney or Obama in 2012. So it's like unions, unions are there, but you're looking at this, it doesn't have actually numbers, it's just like blocks that represent, but it's just like, as far as Obama, there's being black, being gay, or bisexual, and being Hispanic. And for Romney, it was, it's basically if you were really, if you were, uh, if you considered yourself strongly Christian, mm-hmm. and everything else is in a much smaller, lower tier, like those were the big factors. Right. So there's reason to believe that while the unions do get political, they don't really change the game. They're just like an outlet for people that would already be right support. But uh, the the. I did, I did want to, you know, because in the interest of being objective, which we are trying to be here, it did say, obviously this sort of analysis doesn't take into account what would really happen without the union vote. The two parties would go about courting voters differently, and unions also play a big role in fundraising and organizing for the Democratic candidates. So right. that's definitely true. But I don't think but I, I don't, I, but I think it's more gray. I don't think you can say, like, I, th- I think to write unions off as this, like, totally political body. Right. I, yeah, I think that they are still a political body, but I don't think that they. I, I agree with what you're saying that they don't. It's not necessarily like okay, if if the unions weren't, you know, going out there, you know, supporting a candidate or whatever, I, I don't think the candidate would necessarily lose. Like it would, right. you know, it's not, it's not like causing. It's like it's not like a win loss type thing, but it is energizing a base that. Honestly, the unions are really good at energizing people. They're really good at getting them. You know, you see yeah, all these absolutely. these protests that are, that are that are you know the fight for fifteen, uh, all of these things that are going on uh, right now with unions. They are really good at energizing people, and I think that also correlates to a bigger vote, a bigger turnout. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's all. It is a kind of a gray area, but there is some sort of correlation between just getting people mobilized, getting people ready to go. I agree with all that. I would just say that this suggests that potentially that the political agenda of you know any one union is uh, from its members out, right? Instead of how I think a lot of conservatives who are angry about unions think of it, which is that like these two union bosses get together and they decide they like Clinton and yeah. they convince all the union members, and I think it's more all the union members probably lean towards the Democratic side anyway. Yeah. And the union bosses, union leadership might be a, a, a particularly effective force of organizing that and energizing that. But that doesn't mean, like I think conservatives almost think people like union members are manipulated into being Democrats. And I think that right. that's, that is a much, that's much more speculative than to just say that they operate politically. I think they also believe that it's like you know if, if they're forced to pay dues, that they're forced to do do stuff politically that they otherwise might have the option to opt out of. If they could opt out of paying union dues and being and belonging to a union, I think conservatives think that they would they would choose to support other candidates like a Republican candidate. That's fair. I, w- I would I would only add to that that 
I think in an ideal world, unions would, would be able to be less political. But I think to, to be criticized any level of politis, you know, pol- politics in a union is to kind of deny the fact that a lot of these issues are interconnected. You know, we just had a we just had a president elected because of uh, his opposition to, you know, not because, but largely in part because of his pledged opposition to a lot of trade policy that really spoke to your kind of middle class, working class people. And the reality is that those kind of policies are things that affect workers' rights. So it's like, it's, you know, I think ideally a union should exist to just deal with the company at hand or the, or the corporation at hand. But there, but there are ways in which is, issues are connected that a union, if it, if it, you know, if it's trying to look out for its people, mm-hmm. and, and people in unions, I think, like to think of them as being part. Of, like, you know, they're all they're together. The union is them. It's not yeah. this third party. But to look out for themselves does involve some level of making sure certain political things go their way. You know, if if the union can throw its weight behind stopping outsourcing things like that. Yeah. So whatever, however the union perceives it, whatever yeah. party. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to definitively be like which party benefits more, but unions are historically democratic, and yeah. I think that it's a little unfair to be like that's you know, they they have no place to be even thinking about right. politics. Politics is everything. Yeah, and I I've I actually I just got a a message from uh, a libertarian friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, who's more. I w- I would argue he's conservative, but leaning towards libert- libertarian, more so libertarian than anything. And I asked him just a simple question about about unions and, and you know what's what's the argument you know what, what's your argument I, you know I just want to talk to people about it and and he says you know the libertarian argument is not necessarily so anti union it's not that they're against unions they just want unions to their argument is they wanted them to be less political mm-hmm. which is using their dues using their union dues to funnel money to a certain candidate that might not necessarily look out for their interest in the long run right. right they might think on the outside that these candidates are looking out for them because of their talk on the campaign trail because of their talk and whatever but when you get down to it their argument is that they don't really want to see the money go to these candidates that might not even take care might not even it might yeah. court their vote at first but then just be like okay I'm gonna deal with you later so they're not necessarily the libertarians conservatives yes are, are you can argue that they have they have anti-union um, anti-union uh, arguments but but the libertarian end of it I think is also like they're not necessarily anti-union they just want the unions to be on the same playing field as everybody else yeah I think I think that's a fair point I mean I can't argue with that I can only say that like I, I can't, I, I don't want to say it's appropriate and it's what unions should be doing to get political and and that that shouldn't be scaled back. I I, I can I hear that argument. Uh, I'm merely saying again, like I st- like how we started out this. I'm just saying like there's a reason unions do. It's not arbitrary. It's not it's not just because it's not just a middle finger to Republicans. You know, it's it, it's trying to go. Hmm. Well, when do our workers get screwed? Uh, when the company is faced with obstacles that makes them deprioritize the workers, well, if we can cut out, you know, if we if we can cut the, you know cut off the head of the snake and go try to stop some of the forces that are forcing empl- our employers to have to make these decisions that are not in our interest, you know, if I can go try to curb some of the economic factors that are affecting my industry that are affecting my company to right. make them want to maybe lay off people or maybe decrease wages or things like that mm-hmm. 
well, maybe it's in my best interest to do that. And also, if corporations can make super PACs, <laughs> how are you going to argue that unions right. can't throw their weight around as right. workers? No, so I, I would, you know, you're, always, you're you're big about consistency. Yeah. So to any conservative, that would be my check to that is if you are against unions being political then I want to hear that you're against, uh, you know, Citizens United and this corporations are allowed to contribute right. politically. The Coke and Coke, what Coke is, brothers. What is the difference? Right, yeah. You know. you know what the difference is? I think it's perception. Exactly. I think it's perception because you don't see Charles and David Koch That's out there at the Republican National Convention giving speeches. No. You don't see that. They're mobilizing and they're doing it all behind the scenes, which is also kind of more evil in that sense than, than it would be to have like But I think, I think some Republicans speech. like that because I think, they, I think they at least perceive it as them making a choice. I think people think that unions are manipulation of, of workers. They're yeah. taking that money from workers who don't want it to be politicized. Right. And whereas the Koch brothers where you might... They're manipulative in, in other ways as well. Well, sure. Yeah. But the, but people, I think, see it as their money, their corporation, they're doing what they... It, it's their choice where right, unions yeah. might not be. And I can understand that, but it's muddy. And I think that you do have to acknowledge the hypocrisy if you're against one and for the other yeah. being able to throw their money around in, the, in, the, in elections. I agree with that, 100%. With that, let's just let's wrap up by kind of moving on to, a, I think, the most interesting case study as far as unions go, which is teachers' unions. Yeah. So I know you got a lot to. I know you yeah, I mean, teachers unions. Um, you know, obviously this is a good thing to close with, just because uh, teachers unions are extremely controversial. I think, um, and a lot of what I kind of did some research on the on the anti-teacher union argument, and it's really they are basically the the argument is unions are ruining public education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, teachers unions specifically, and that's that's the theme that I saw across all articles that I I, I read articles from from right-leaning websites, the ones that we talked about, the clickbait ones, yeah. that people are actually <laughs> people are actually paying attention to. Uh-huh. And and I'm trying to see where they're coming from and where they're getting their things. And these these arguments are that you, teachers' unions prevent schools from firing bad teachers, and they prevent them from rewarding talented teachers, which my opinion is, is that I kind of agree with that in a sense that I think teachers should be held accountable for the results of their students. Obviously, there's arguments that I can make that, okay, if you're in an inner-city school, you don't you necessarily don't have the resources to, to teach your students certain things that they're going to do better on the SATs or do better on, on, on the regents or whatever, whatever exam that they're taking. So there's an argument where, okay, how am I supposed to teach my kids if I don't have textbooks to teach them, right? That's an argument to be made. But the argument against, if there are, if there are failing teachers in public schools and they are tenured, and they are protected by the by the by the teachers unions, they can't get fired. Right. So there's no performance review. So if it, it, it's like the argument that, that conservatives make is like, okay, if I do a shitty job at my work, I can get fired easily. My my family owns a small business. If 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 one of our workers did a shitty job, you know, if, constantly doing a shitty job, we're gonna fire him and we're gonna find somebody else. There's no accountability there. And I think I agree with that in the sense that teachers are protected, as they should be in certain cases. But when it comes to teachers who don't perform well, you know, st- students who don't perform well, obviously you you either just don't you don't do well and you don't move on to the next level, and you have to keep on doing it, keep on doing it. Teachers who don't perform well can just stay in the system 
each and every year and pass the kids along to the next to the next grade. And I think that's a problem uh, that we see when it comes to teachers unions. It's a super complicated issue when it comes because then because it smacks right up against education, which is which what education as an issue, yeah. which is which is its own behemoth right. of, of of complexity, and. And that's what that's what I think is really interesting about talking about unions because I think it's I think with education when you talk about the education system in America, it, it's really hard to pin down the cause and effect of really much of anything because yeah. it's it's so complex and states do things differently, schools within states do things differently. You have public, you have private, you have charter. It's I think it's really I think it's one of the hardest uh, sectors of the economy. It's one of the hardest just areas politically to really. For me to nail down like how I what how I what I really think is wrong and what I really think the solutions are, and so I, I am pretty I'm pretty receptive to certain arguments about how unions harm education because we've all had bad teachers and we've all we all know the horror stories of like teachers that can't get fired, and I definitely have a lot of sympathy for the fact that a lot of raises and bonuses and and just it's based on it's it's heavily heavily weighted more towards seniority than like an administrator's ability to to perceive like performance and reward that and yeah. young teachers who come in with all of this um enthusiasm and maybe new ideas don't really get to benefit much from that right and can get and and get complacent and realize you know what screw it why am i putting in all this extra energy when i can just kind of go through the motions get right. my kids ready for the test the, the you know the, your kind of standardized test which is what i'm yeah. going to be judged darn and you know what i'm not even going to get my really raise until i'm five years in because it's all structured on senior like i i can see a lot of those problems and go that's definitely a problem and, and i don't but so this is what i did though because I, I had a friend of a friend is a teacher in georgia and i was talking to them recently after we decided to to do this podcast and I and I asked her about teacher unions in, in Georgia and she goes oh we don't have teachers union in Georgia and that blew my mind I thought I thought teaching I thought like I thought that was across the board mm-hmm. five states in the country don't the states ban collective bargaining for teachers Texas Georgia North Carolina South Carolina and I believe Virginia yes so I'll blow the Mason Dixon line <laughs> yeah so. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> make of that what you will, uh, and and make make of this what you will. So I pulled like U.S. News and World Reports K through twelve state rankings for education. Texas is forty first, Georgia's thirty seventh, North Carolina's thirty fourth, uh, South Carolina is forty eighth, and Virginia at thirteen is kind of the lone bright spot in. Mm-hmm state education systems that are without unions now there's another level which is uh i I think they call it like permissive uh, where basically there are unions but you don't you don't have to join the union when you sign when you get take a job as a teacher you get to choose whether you want to pay in and 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 be a part of it and, and you know a big tenant that conservatives are out there, as we said, is this whole like you know you're, I'm I'm forced to pay into this. I maybe I don't want my money to go to this. Maybe I don't want my so right, 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 right. so. But so states that do that, there's a bunch of them. Um, the highest that any state is that does that 
is Wisconsin at 17. Virginia is still higher than that. Um, there are only four states that in the top half of the country in these rankings that don't have just like full stop unionized teacher, you know, te you know teachers, um, and only nine of the bottom half um, have unions. So I don't think because, like I said, education is so multifaceted. I don't think it's fair to go see unions are are good for teaching or or unions are bad for teaching but i will say that this gave me a lot of pause and how i thought about all that because yeah. it go it, it it certainly doesn't suggest that there's some sort of perfectly correlated uh connection either, either way either way between either way. between yeah. um unions and and the performance of a state's education system right in, if anything, the correlation is that unions are good, but I, I don't think that's definitive either. I mean, you have forty, you know, fiftieth and fiftieth and forty ninth, or Nevada and New Mexico have unions. Right. So there you go. They're the worst, and they they are unionized. And Florida and Mississippi and other states are down there too. But the top ten all have unions. So it's like very so. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm not trying to I, – I think the, I worry because people know where I stand in the spectrum that I, right. I, I really bring this up to go that there are other issues at play. Right. I think funding is a big, is a big thing. Yeah. You talked about the Mason-Dixon line. Most of these are red states at the bottom here of this yeah. list. And the top is New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New Jersey, these kinds of states. So I think more than unions, I think this, the, the willingness to invest – in an education system, yeah, might have more to do with it. Is, right. is, is one theory, but I think it's a really multifaceted issue. But, but the teacher union example is a really interesting one because it yeah. is more than a lot of un other industries where you're basically just dealing with a worker and a company, and you know, you're, this is dealing you, like and, a, and uh, you're just product, yeah. just productivity and profit, and what right. affects what, and wages, and and it's, con it's more or less contained to a company, if not an industry, right? Where the teachers unions it's the education of of, of children and it's it's right. like it's education is such a such a factor that weighs into every other right. kind of facet of society and so it makes it so much more complex well it's also you know you have federal the, the federal government yeah. the federal education system the state education system then you have the teachers then you have the students right there is like a there is a a pyramid scheme here not scheme but a pyramid type hierarchy here where it's there are so many different layers to this, and I think to uh, again that is that, that did give me pause. I've never I've never seen that data before that you just gave with all these states, and that does give me pause with like okay, what else is going on? Mm -hmm. Why are these states, you know, those states so bad? But then also why are you know uh, New Mexico and Nevada was it? Yeah, or forty ninth and forty and fiftieth. Yeah, and they have unions. Like right. what, what's going on there? Like right, what, right. what what is what's that little you know that. Uh, that one issue that is that is affecting that ranking, and I think that's I think the one definitive thing I take from that is that what, whatever the effect of unions, it's right. not the, it's certainly not the only thing. Right, exactly. Right. And I think that's and that's the I think that if we're wrapping up with teachers unions, I think that's a good point to wrap it up because it's this is a debate where there it's there are there are arguments from obviously on both sides but from so many different areas of both sides mm -hmm. you know and i think that's an interesting thing and i think that's why we wanted to do this topic in the first place yeah yeah i think this is a good place to leave it with uh, still a lot of questions to answer but i think that's all the time that we have 
so uh, I think if if you if if you get nothing else from this, I think that uh, unions are a are more impactful. Whether you think that's a bad impact or a good impact, a I think a more impactful force on the economy than I think your average American thinks about or gives it credit for. I, I think it's I, 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 for me the conversations I've had kind of cocktail party or like just kind of banter. Just people have these these kind of seemingly arbitrary opinions about about unions, and it, 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 it again it's like one of those it's one of those issues that gets tossed up during a debate around mm-hmm. election time, but in the, in the four years in between, like if you're not dealing personally with a union that you're involved in, people just really aren't thinking or caring about unions right. unless there's some sort of strike or exactly. something that brings yeah. people's attention, which I think fuels into the part that it fuels the, the perception negatively sometimes because I think usually people only hear about unions when they're basically protesting. And we, right, we right. know that people... We know people don't usually tend to love protests unless they're part of it right, because, exactly. you know, it's it's an interruption to the norm and yeah. that throws people off. So I think if you get nothing else from this this episode is just to, to, to maybe look a little deeper about however you feel about unions yeah. on either side and, and try to get a more rounded perspective because it's, it's a much more complex issue than I think we end up talking about yeah, day to day. Agreed. Uh, with that, uh, I know it's been a while since we've had a new episode. Uh, we are we are busy New Yorkers with a lot a lot of other things on our plate, and unfortunately, this podcast doesn't pay the bills. So, uh, release our you know our episodes are not coming quite as uh, scheduled, I guess, right, or yeah. frequently as as we would like. But uh, we're gonna try to get better with that. Try to get an episode out like we promised about once a month. Um, and you can get updates from us on our Twitter, which is at IslesidesPod. Pod. Uh, you can visit our website, which is islesides.simplecast.fm, and you can reach us by email at islesides at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with a new episode. Uh, this has been Islesides. I'm Alex Garofalo. I'm Nick Cardona. Thank uh, you so much, guys.